Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that in observance of Passover, there will not be a new episode of Be Impactful next week. In the meantime, there's an incredible back catalog you can listen to, so use the time to catch up. I'll be back in two weeks with another interview. Happy holidays! From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a food magazine editor about her newest project. She shares what makes a great recipe and how a meat-focused publication makes decisions about cheesecake. Shifra Klein is the editor of Fleischik's magazine. The title is Yiddish and literally translates to meat. You guessed it, the magazine is dedicated entirely to kosher meat cooking. My favorite part of this interview is what Shifra shares in the very beginning about her early teenage years. I don't want to butcher it, so I'll let her tell it. I was the oldest in my family, very independent, um, always liked to get my way. I was very fun to have around as a teenager. Not <laughs> <laughs> sarcastically. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I was so, I was more on the quiet side in school, um, but always did what I was supposed to, I guess. Um, what else? So hard to describe myself as a child. That's a good question. Thanks. Yeah. But yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was very independent, always very independent, always just did things my way, liked to do things my way, um, had strong opinions and feelings about things. I went through a huge feminist phase too. Um, I used to like go on and on for hours about feminism and being Jewish and all of that. So that was How old were you when you had that phase? Um, 12 to 16. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) about right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That that makes sense to me. Um, When you say that it was a phase, was that because you feel like you matured or because like you outgrew those ideas? Like what, how would you, how do you feel about that 12 to 16 year old you now? Um, I wouldn't say I didn't, the idea solidified to become part of like, I guess my philosophy and the way I think about things. I think that's what happens. Like, you know, you like in your teenage years, you're figuring things out. So I figure them out. It's not that I'm not, no aspect of like, you know, let's say being feminist or thinking about those ideologies. Like, it's not like I don't think about that anymore, but it sort of solidified itself to like my point of view in life, you know? Right. If you don't mind my asking, what's your grown up version of, of that? Like what's like, when you say that it's solidified, how, in what way, like what's, if you had to, to take that belief and kind of sum it up, how you look at it now as an adult, what does that look like? I think that anyone could do anything. Yeah. And I don't think that it matters um, if you're a woman, if you're a man, if you're, you know, if you're, let's say, for example, even doing a magazine, did I have magazine experience before I started? No, I didn't. So I think that nothing should, could st- should stop people from doing what they want. Yeah. And I that- also think that as well, like in terms of people doing anything, I think that even with being Jewish, right, because I grew up religious, I think that even with that, um, it's realizing that you do, being Jewish, being religious, 
the way, not that you're making things up, but the way that speaks to you. Um, a lot of times you grow up that this is the way you have to do things. This is the only way. I don't think that's true in almost anything. So. Yeah, I, amen. That makes, <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense to me. The, you mentioned that you didn't have any magazine experience and here you are running a magazine. So can you tell me about Felicia's magazine, how that got started? What made you think, do you have food experience? Like what, how did all of this come to be? Yeah, I mean, it started off as like a major passion. I mean, I was very passionate about food. I was very passionate that I felt like kosher and Jewish people were a bit misrepresented in the marketplace. And so I wanted to change that. How do you think that, that we were misrepresented? I mean, if you go to any kosher aisle, it's a little bit different, but especially when I started back, I don't know, it was 2010, um, 2009, um, if you w walked into any kosher aisle, the standard jarred gefilte fish and macaroons and matzah and matzah meal are what you'll see. And that's sort of the definition of what people think of as Jewish food and kosher food. And there's so much more to that. So I really wanted to showcase it. Not only for, <laughs> the funny thing is it wasn't only for the kosher people. Like I wanted to show it to the world. I wanted to show the kosher lifestyle and the Jewish lifestyle and how beautiful it is to everyone. Um, and I also felt like there was nothing when it comes to Pesach or Shabbos or you know, Rosh Hashanah, all those Jewish holidays. There was nothing speaking to that. You know, there was the standard page recently, and a lot of national publications did start dedicating a few pages to Pesach, to Passover, but like, that's it. So I really yeah. wanted to do a little bit more. Um, yeah, I had no experience. My philosophy, I told you, I think that anybody could do anything. So right. I just woke up one day um, and was like, how about I start a magazine? I tend to be very, also, I tend to be very um, optimistic. And I think that the best, like, I'm like, this is how many people are going to, there's X amount of people keeping kosher. So like, obviously X amount of people are going to buy my magazine. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Sorry. That's not how this works. No, that's not <laughs> how it works. I quickly learned after printing God knows how many copies of the first issue. How long has Felicia's uh, been around? I feel like I've only so ever is, become. I started off, I started off in 2010 with Batea Bone magazine. Oh, sure. I know Batea Bone. That's you. Yes. Oh, okay. Out of my like tiny Brooklyn apartment. Um, I started with Tavo Magazine in 2010. Um, and that transitioned into, um, I started it myself and then my husband came along for the ride and we became like this like team working on it. Um, and then we were doing that for a few years, but we were both still working um, because the magazine wasn't um, something that was, you know, it wasn't a, a living at that point. But then um, Jamie Geller approached us and asked us to join her magazine. So we partnered up with Jamie Geller and joined Joy of Kosher magazine. Got it. So we were doing that. Um, then a few years ago, Jamie transitioned her brand to, um, from Joy of Kosher to Jamie Geller. And with that came a lot of different changes in her brand. And one of the changes was that the magazine transitioned into seasonal books that she was making. So we, start, we joined that team, but we really missed doing magazines. Got it. So we took our seven years experience of publishing and started Felicia's. Got it. Okay. So all that makes sense. When you started Batea Vone, had you been in the food world at all? No, I was a teacher. Um, I had taught um, high school for many years. 
Um, I taught United States history and government. And then I was also, I have a master's in special ed. So I was doing special ed. Right. Okay. So you, so you go through all of these different transitions where you're a teacher who decides why not start a food magazine because it seems like something that could be fun. And then you, and then Batea Vohn, and I remember, I didn't realize that you were Batea Vohn. Like my grandmother loved her Batea Vohn. She would be reading them all the time. Like this, it was her thing. Um, I think she still even like has them and, and like uses the recipes from them and, and all of that. That's actually awesome. And, and then you keep, and, and then you just keep going and, and it, as your career progresses, then you end up in Flashix and Flashix has really blown up. It's really become like, I see it in, in grocery stores. I see it all over social media. It's something that's super polished looking, by the way, it's really pretty. I have to say like everything about the shooting of it is just really, really pretty. Um, and I'm curious with Flashix, was the idea to just have something fun that you could do or was it to like, was it to, aside from like bringing this new aspect of kosher cooking, what do you hope to accomplish with Flashix? Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, I mean, I think Flashix was a culmination of, well, our years publishing. We took our experience and really sat down and said, you know, how could we make what we, we learned so much on the way, as I told you, we didn't know anything. So as we were doing things, we just learned so much. And Flashix was sort of the result of all those years of publishing. Um, so there were a lot of things. What is the goal? There's um, the goal of Flashix is to really provide a very high quality publication for the kosher marketplace and beyond. And the point is that you open up a page, like you were saying, that the graphic design, the pictures, the quality of the recipes, the stories that you read are on par with any national publication. Um, you'll find Flashix and Barnes and Nobles and Whole Foods. And the point is that like to really just really provide something of value. Um, we also, not that this is like something that we use to market the magazine, but different than other um, religious publications, we um, publish pictures of women. Um, again, like to really showcase the beauty of our lifestyle um, just to as many people as possible, inspire right. people. As was well. like was that really something that you did very intentionally to um, to specifically publish pictures of women, or did or was it just something that you didn't intentionally exclude? Because we should mention for someone who's not familiar is that among Orthodox Jewish publications, there is this very clear delineation, and that is that certain publications that are catering to a certain market, usually um, a much more conservative or Hasidic market, will generally not publish pictures of women for modesty reasons. And there's a whole other debate around that that we're not going to get into. Um, but by making that decision, you are excluding a huge section of the market. You know, you're basically, you're, you're, you're creating a situation where I, I know um, as a friend who wrote, a, I have a friend who wrote a cookbook who knew that by including her photo in the about authors page, she was, they told her you will sell 50,000 less books because there's a whole section that just will not carry it because it has her photo in it. What was- I mean, I think, I think um, number one to that, there's a lot of times where people make rules and regulations that aren't true. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> like they say, this is what's going to happen when you do this, but then it's not true. Right, right. So there's a lot of people that still buy it in many of the neighborhoods that people said they won't. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. That, and there's your answer. Were you uh, surprised to find that? I'm not surprised, no. But okay. um, 
there there are at the same time real i'm not going to say there are there are some neighborhoods that don't sell our magazine and the distributor says that he can put his, the magazine in different neighborhoods as a result so it's not everyone let's be honest right. but mostly um i think anyway the people um even though it's not more i don't think it's more gourmet than any other magazine it's just the way it looks but there are our crowd is very limited to a certain readership anyway and in general, the more specific, I think anybody who's been in business for a very long time knows, like, the more targeted your messaging is, the more successful you're going to be. And so the more specific of content and um, style that we are, like, the be like, basically, instead of trying to appeal to everyone, which is not possible, it's just better to know who you are and then, like, appeal to the people who will appreciate that. So true. So true. It's um, the metaphor that's usually given is a fishing net that gets stretched. You take a fishing net and you stretch it and you try to appeal to everyone, then inevitably people end up falling through the holes and those holes just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Exactly. You mentioned that you learned a lot through starting. What was something that you know now that you wish you had known when you started Batea Bone, you know, almost 10 years ago? Um. Hmm. So, I mean, just on a practical level, there was just the editing aspect. Like I was writing recipes and not editing them properly. So instead of writing um, one 28 ounce can of marinara sauce, it was one one bottle of marinara sauce. Like, mm. you don't know? <laughs> I had no- and Don't you know they, they, they are this size? <laughs> right. It's what I use. <laughs> right. It's, it's the small one that's on the left side of the grocery that I go to. Don't you all know exactly. that? <laughs> there were things like that. Um, and that took people, uh, just mentioning, you know, there were really, I have to say like there are people in the industry that are just so generous and so kind and, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you in general always have to be able to hear people's feedback, but, um, that's a big one. That was something that I wish that I knew. Um, also to just, I think do a little bit more research in terms of, the market, how many copies to print. Like I said, I printed an exorbitant amount of copies. Like I went to the distributor and I told him how much I printed. He almost fell off his chair. He was like, <laughs> you're maybe going to sell a thousand, 2000 copies. Like maybe. And right. then like, we'll be so impressed. Um, so that, those were two major things. For sure. How do you deal with feedback in general? Um, I think that um, feedback that's given in a constructive way is always um, appreciate it. Like I truly appreciate it. Um, it sometimes is challenging when you get a very negative response, but you know, um, I think I started the magazine in my twenties and now that I'm like mid thirties, you anyways learn that a lot of times when people have harsh reactions, it's because they're having a bad day or something's going on with them. So I always think like, wow, something must have really happened <laughs> to that person right. that they're responding this way. Because, you know, when you're in a good place, you're not being nasty to people, even if they deserve it. Um, so generally, um, I'm okay. I'm really good with constructive feedback and even a little bit of harsh feedback. Um, I try to sit and say, okay, do they have a point? What could I learn from this? I'm always taking that, like, um, I always think about it, like really take it to heart. Right, even if it's said in a not so nice way. Yeah, I'm like, and sometimes I I could validate. Like I once, it's it's not. I have someone who helps me. Let's say with customer service, and one day I was like, oh, I'm gonna do customer service, and I answered <laughs> someone, and they didn't like my response, 
And then I was like, all proud of myself that I took the time to respond. But, but they didn't respond nicely. But then I looked at my response and I was like, she was right. It was a little bit generic. Like I could have been a little bit more personal. I'm not really going to do customer service again. <laughs> <laughs> customer service is hard. As someone who does Very it hard. on the regular, I am, I, I kind of like it. I love, I love interacting with my customers. So especially when it comes to impact fashion and, and it's usually very specific questions that I'm best suited to answer. Anyways, right. you know, these are my measurements. What size should I get in this dress? That's, that's part of what I do, but it is definitely a tricky kind of thing because you do get a lot of heat for yeah usually from people who are just having a bad day exactly like like you said um how often do you publish play how often does it come out so comes out 11 times a year okay so Uh, give or take once a month once a month pretty much it's that season of i'll tell you when you don't when it's a double issue it's that season between like per and pesach yeah it's like holiday after holiday after holiday so like then we have three issues in the span of four months. It wouldn't right. make sense to do another issue then. Right. It would just get swallowed up and lost. Right. That's, that's why. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. So can you take me through beginning to end? How does, like, how far in advance do you start planning an issue? Um, the goal is, I say the goal is because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know where this conversation is going. <laughs> People ask me my production schedule all the time and I'm like, on paper or in reality? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the goal is three, four, three months ahead at least. Um, in reality, it's, you know, the planning stages could happen three months before. Uh, the photo shoot usually, um, what happens is we plan an issue where there's a theme and then we break it up. We have different columns that, you know, make it easy because you sort of have to fill, like we have our butcher's cut column where every issue we break down a different cut of meat and we explain you like what it is, where it comes from, the best way to cook it, a bunch of recipes. I love those those, because as someone who doesn't know anything about anything, particularly when it comes to meat, I always learn so much from those. Yeah. I mean, me as well. Like we get experts who, um, who just really um, teach so much and explain so much about it. So we fill those columns um, and then we do the extras, the seasonal stuff. So that comes into play. We get the writers, you know, I get the writers, whoever's doing it. Um, and then we sort of plan the shoot. The shoot happens probably six weeks, five weeks before the issue um, goes to print. And then we compile everything, go through an editing process uh, where um, I send it to Ellie Shevatates, who's the editor. And then she goes through it. And then we send it to Hannah Zeldeweiss, who's another editor. She goes through it. Then she sends it back to Ellie Shevatates. And then she sends it back to me. Like we go through that whole editing process, which is a blast. I'm joking. Um, no, but it's, it's really cool. Um, and then it's we do cool, stuff. but it's tedious. It's very tedious work. That's the tedious aspect of the job. And then we do the photo shoots. Um, during the photo shoot is when we do the final testing of recipes. And then it's really cool because I have assistants who help cook and they're not like professionally trained chefs. So that's where we really see if a recipe has an issue um, because we actually make each recipe for the shoot and we shoot it. So we're really able to see how the recipe works when, uh, you know, a moderate level cook is making it. Yeah, someone like me who doesn't really know what they're doing. So you're reading a recipe, oh, this doesn't make sense, the order, et cetera. Right. And then we shoot it, and then we send it to the graphic designer, we do that whole process. Uh, this is just in short, and then uh, we go through another editing process, and then we go to print. Um, yeah, that's, that's just in brief. Right. What makes a really good recipe? Um, a really good recipe is, um, I mean, the results, number one, has to be phenomenal, has to be worth your time. 
Um, but what really makes a good written recipe is something that's very clear, easy to follow. You know, the something as simple as like the ingredients need to be in the order of the instructions. So like that makes a good recipe. If you could visualize as you're reading the recipe and you could visualize making it, that's a really well-written recipe. Um, but yeah, really the taste, like it has to be really good at the end. Of course, of you're course. I'm, it, yeah. Right, of course. It's got to be yummy. That's that's the be all and end all. Like, exactly. Obviously. I'm curious, like, what are you, what are you looking for in the types of recipes? Do you specifically want to use easy recipes? Do you want to use things that are m- maybe more involved, but have like a prettier result? Do you try to strike right. a balance between the two? Um, the main focus is that the food should taste good. That's like the main focus. Everything has to taste good. Everything has to be worth the person's time. Um, we try to have a balance of recipes. I want to be able to like really have most of the recipes need to be doable, like doable. They're all doable. Most of the recipes I want to be really approachable. I think that's the right word, Yeah. Uh, which I think that they are. Um, but at the, the end of the day, the main focus is, does it taste good? I've scratched recipes that didn't taste, taste great. Um, if there's something that I think is interesting, you'll hear it in like the intro. Like if you don't like this flavor, avoid it or something to that effect. Um, that's a very big focus. When another thing that I'm very into, um, this is surprising despite how amazing the food looks. There's no manipulation that goes into any of our photos. There's no tricks. Um, I should really video it one day, but like we literally take the food and put it on the plate. There's no like, let's use this, but I, 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 I style the photos. That's my, um, I style the photos for Flashix. That's my other job, sort of. And my approach is really, I don't have a tweezer. I don't have um, a Q-tip even. I don't have food coloring. I don't have glue. None of those tricks that you read about with food styling happens in the place kitchen. It literally goes on the plate. So you, you make it, you put it on the plate, you put it out. There's no, you know, perfectly placed lettuce or anything like that. I mean, they're, they are. No, obviously they're, like you said, there's no tweezers. You know, obviously you're arranging it nicely on the plate, but they're, they're all perfectly edible. Exactly. Exactly. The food that you see in the magazine is how it looked to a certain extent. Obviously it's styled and it's photographed by a really talented professional photographer, Shneer Menacher, but like, it's really not manipulated at all. Right. That's actually really great to know. Cause I kind of just assumed that they were. Yeah. Like I, I kind of just assume, and, and I almost assume that looking at any food photograph that it's been, like you said, heavily styled food coloring, glue, chopsticks, you know, propping up hamburger buns and all of that. I, I just have assumed that. And it's always a really exciting buzz when I make something and it looks like the picture. I yeah. Like, Wait one second. I actually, I did that. I made the pretty looking thing. And that's always really, really exciting. You mentioned that you do the food styling also, as well as being a part of the editing process and all of that. What's your favorite part of your job? Um, I love the creative aspect, anything that's creative. So coming up with ideas, I mean, actually before the creative, I love cooking. So that's really where it all started. My love of cooking, my love of being in the kitchen. So anytime I have to cook, it's just that that's like, in the, you know, like your relaxing zone and like what you just like chill and your mind almost goes blank. You're just like, so like, whoa, Zen. So that's me when I'm cooking. So anytime I have to cook, it's just like amazing. I love the creativity. Um, I love planning out um, different, um, the way the layout's going to go, uh, different design ideas. So just getting creative and then food styling. I also, I love it. It's really fun. 
Um, but I did realize, because I was once, someone recently hired me to do it, what I realized is that I really like to just do it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can so relate. As someone who designs things that I just love for my collection, and I also work with custom clients, I love my custom clients to death, but sometimes yes. I just want to, like, give them a big giant hug and say, honey, you just need to listen to me. <laughs> that I totally get that. What was it specifically about working for yourself versus work versus food styling for someone else that was like, what, what was it that made you realize that? Well, I mean, I guess like if, if I would have to say, you know, um, I think everybody has, uh, what is it like, what's the word um, with your personality? Like you have like good traits, bad traits or negative, positive, um, so if I was in an interview and they said, what were your weaknesses? So I guess like having to navigate, like working with someone and like doing what you know is the best thing, but like still making their vision come to life. And just like that whole like social interaction of going back and forth could be very stressful. And it's a very big part of like when you're working for someone that you have, like it's a very big skill that you need, that that's really where my weakness is. So like when I work for myself, I talk to myself, I have to answer to myself and I could execute my vision. But when I'm working for someone else, that could be a little bit challenging. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely a balance that needs to be struck, I guess, yeah. you know, to figure out. Cause also at the same time, you are the professional you are, they hired you to do your job and it can be really frustrating when someone hires you to do the thing and then doesn't let you do the thing, whatever that right. thing is. And, and you don't want to, like I said, you don't want to, I just want to give them a big hug and say, honey, listen, <laughs> this is, this yeah. is my, this is what I do. So when you're planning out an issue, what are some of the things that like, are, is there anything that every issue has to have? Oh, we have the butcher's cut. No, I, I don't, I, right. Obviously like there are certain columns, but I'm saying there's oh, yeah. certain characteristics that you want every issue to have. Yes. Um, I want there to be like something just visually interesting. Um, like in the Purim issue, I just want there to be something like out there and interesting to look at um, something that I think could be on like a national billboard. It's so interesting. Like that's my dream. Like someone should be like, whoa, this was so cool. Um, basically we did for the Purim issue, we just had this like really cool shot uh, where we took um, duck fat hand pies. They were filled with cherry pie filling and we like sprayed it. You know, those sprays, the party sprays. Sure. So we sprayed the whole thing because it's Purim. So it's like really like, what would a party look like after it's done? And we created this like monochromatic pink look with all different colored pink sprays on a pink tray on with pink cups and pink, like everything was just like pink and it was just crazy. Yeah, that and image was, was great. So fun. And like, I really want every issue to have something like that. For the Pesach issue, we have um, one of our um, kitchen, one of our uh, kitchen assistants, was actually like we we drilled two holes in a wooden thing and she was like pouring the dressing over the salad like it was just interesting so i always want to have something like that because it's a magazine it's editorial you want to do something that like it doesn't have to look like it was in someone's house because it's not like let's be interesting so i want to get really interesting right that and it's always so fun to like that's not something that i would ever do in my own house but it's fun to just see it's yeah. fun to just, you, you know. want to make, exactly. You want to make the magazine just like fun to look at. That's right. very important to me. Of course. It's a, it's a yeah. little bit of escapism and a little bit of, exactly. you know, just, it's just fun. And, and who doesn't love food, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, um, with, with the issues that you put together and, and in how they 
they come together. You, I'm sure that like, well, I mean, we're recording this in March. So like what you, like Pesach is done. It's printed, it's out. The rest of us are thinking about Pesach and you did that a couple months ago. What's yeah, on your brain right now? What are you thinking about right now? Um, can we talk about Corona? <laughs> oh, we can, if you'd like. <laughs> I'm joking. <Let's... laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that's on our mind. And that's um, on I, everybody's I, mind. <laughs> actually... Oh, you mean the pending apocalypse? You're not thinking about that? We all are. Uh, um, but I hope that by the time everyone hears this, it's all over. Um, but um, yeah, I was actually laughing about it. Um, I wrote an, I did an Instagram post where I shared the cover of the Pesach issue. And I said, I've almost been in quarantine making the Pesach issue. And I thought to myself, when the Pesach issue is out, I'm going <laughs> to Florida to my niece's bas mitzvah. Hmm. And I'm taking a day to myself. Maybe I'll like really splurge on a nice like beachfront hotel and chill. And I yes. canceled that flight. Sorry and now I'm in real that. So um, it's really funny. It's ironic. Yeah. Uh, so I learned the lesson is to just take moments all the time, not to wait for those, you know, that like one time. But yeah, what's on my mind right now is the next, our next issue. We're well into planning that. So that's right. really exciting. And is that the, the summer issue? No, we're up to Shavuos. Oh, okay. Jewish holiday that's on the calendar. It's going to be in May. So right yeah, after. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's going to be out. Um, so we're working on that and we're actually like taking some inspiration from um, you know, things, it's very interesting. We actually did, um, a few weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, we had a dinner at wall street grill. We do these like live dinner articles where we invite people to come. And we did one with, they're all themed around different, different things. So this one was an appreciation dinner or something to that effect, or a chill night for the vendors at Arnava for the Brooklyn market. Right. Um, and so it was very interesting to see how the Brooklyn market didn't come to real right they had to cancel the event because they of the had to cancel the event. so that's going to be in the shows issue because we did the event but like how they changed it and what happened is going to be part of that issue which is going to be really interesting right well especially with a holiday like shavuos which is really focused around dairy foods like that's when all yeah. the cheesecake comes out so how does fleshix deal with shavuos we had this debate um and this is something about sticking to this is this was my feeling about like our magazine is Fleetchex. We really have to stick to that. Um, so last year we did a baking issue. And I think that even on Shavuos, we're like, yeah, there's a meal or two with dairy. At the end of the day, the kosher cook is always looking for non-dairy baking recipes. So we um, made this whole issue dedicated to non-dairy baking. Um, okay, and, that's a good one. Yeah, and it's a great, it was a great resource. There were really creative ideas. Um, when you say non-dairy, do you mean that things that were specifically meat that, or, or just things that were, that were parv, that were neutral? No, parv neutral parv. and obviously meat stuff. Like, so we right. did this really cool dough, Chef Isaac Bernstein developed this dough. You literally just dump this dough in a bowl. You mix it like for two seconds. Pacha, the amazing pizza. But then we went fleshic and actually made like meat fillings. Um, Chef Isaac made like a non-dairy ricotta cheese, which is made with almonds. It was so good. Yum. That yeah. Really um, good. We used, we did a lot of stuff with trina. Trina is like a hot um, item now. It's right. very trendy. Um, we did some baking stuff with that. Um, really cool two ingredient caramel. You take trina and cilan, mix it together. Don't even cook it. It's amazing. You drizzle Yum. it over ice cream. Life changing. Yum. I'm going to go do that. Yeah, get, so good. Get me some trina and cilan, but yes. Yum. <laughs> that's so good. Um, 
Okay. So, so you, it's really important to you to keep focused on Flashix, to keep it, you know, a meat focused magazine, even when the time of the year doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's our brand and there's so much to do beyond dairy anyway. So um, yeah, that it also helps, you know, it really helps to have a focus. I do have to say like, if that's one thing that I, you were asking before, like um, what I wish I knew, I think that that's also something like that's just keep focused on what your goals are and why you're doing things. Obviously, you know, you need to be able to pivot and change things as you know, challenges come your way, but like, that's a very big deal. Right. What are some challenges that have cropped up in, in getting your magazines off the ground? Um, challenges. I'm trying to think. Take your time. I'm, I'm very much, I'm very real and honest, but I'm very optimistic and I forget things. Like if something, like if something bad happened or like whatever, something negative, I tend to really put it behind me. So I'm having a very hard time with this question. But like, I, I want to be honest, it's not that, like there's no challenges. So let me change the question though, because that's actually really interesting. Because I think that a lot of entrepreneurs tend to focus on their weaknesses. I think that a lot of times we tend to get stuck up on the things that we do wrong, because a lot of times the things that we do wrong can mean the failures of or success of our businesses. So is there something specific that you do to just put things behind you really quickly? Um. It's about, hmm, I'm thinking, what do I do? It's a lot of it is, I've noticed, is a personality thing, right? So some people just naturally have an easier time letting go. Um, I tend to just focus on moving forward and the next thing. I don't really try to sit on a failure. I actually thought of something. There were one or two, what happens is when we go to print, um, there's that final draft that we don't see. It's by the graphic designer, she's remote, so we don't see it. And there are times, especially in the first few months as we were getting our bearings, that there are certain mistakes where the magazine was printed with a mistake or two. That's very difficult. That I had a very, like I lost a night of sleep over that for sure. Um, even in the past issue, there was a picture that printed low resolution by mistake. And like, there's nothing you can do about it because you printed your thousands of copies. You're not reprinting it for something like that. And you just have to move on. And you're like, it's hard. Um, the way I deal with it, I know it's not like 2020. I just like move on. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't have a magical thing to say. Um, and I don't want to sound cold. I know like if you tell people to move on, it's a little bit like harsh. But that's the way I deal with it. I'm just like, okay, it happens next. That that in and of itself is just a really great. It's a skill. It's something that it's something that you can learn over time, and some people are just born with. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of like you said, like in a picture that prints low resolution or something like that? Are those the kinds of issues that will maybe crop up with yeah, for sure. with printing? Have has have you ever like sent something out with a typo? Yes. How annoying is that? We had a recipe, it's so upsetting. It's like, it's also usually, a lot of times it's a mistake, like you, t you send back a revision to, um, to, the, to the graphic designer or to whatever, and it, sometimes it's like a technical misunderstanding. Or like sometimes as you shift a design, like that's why we try not to make design changes last minute, because when you change a design, 
sometimes like text could be moved in a certain way. Oh, a letter gets dropped by mistake. It's like these little things that you don't realize, like there was that perfect draft. How could you go from a perfect draft to a draft that had a mistake and then print the draft with the mistake? Yeah, it's very challenging. I mean, that, that I would say is very tough when that happens. I don't I think can... we've had that the past few issues. We've worked really hard to avoid that. Right. What are some things that you do to avoid that? Is it just not working up to the last minute? So for sure, that's number one. It's being as being done the draft as early as possible so that the one or two, three days before we're going to print, the draft is perfect, as perfect as it could be. And then you're really dealing with like perfecting a perfect draft. Um, and that ha that's easier to do with a little bit more people, um, which is a challenge that we've had. Um, that, that's one of the challenges of like a smaller, there's only so much a smaller team could do. So, um, you know, it's about realizing that. Right. How many people are on your team of curiosity? So, I mean, it's really, it's a surprisingly small operation um, because most people, we're, we're not like a company that has like an office somewhere and everyone comes to work. It's more freelance. It's a very like 21st century company where like people are all working remotely. Um, so we have our photographer um, who we've worked with from the beginning. We have, um, you know, two or three editors. We have a graphic designer. We have a marketing team. Um, but everyone's sort of remote. So I would say about like 10, 12 people. That's pretty lean. Yeah, we, we're a lean team for sure. For That's, sure. It's always better that way. Less it's, people. I think so. I think that like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, to keep things much more. I've worked, I've worked in different situations where companies have expanded to grand. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't, I don't see that advantage unless you really have to. Yeah, I can definitely even agree with that. if you have the money, like even if you have it, you should spend, like this isn't a business podcast, but like. But please share with me your tips. I'm always looking. Yeah, yeah, no. I think that a lean team is always better. I think you get much better results. Yeah. And also it's just, it's easier to manage fewer people. Yeah. Definitely. This has been a really fun look into a world that I don't think that people really like would ever even think to to think about which is really fun if somebody wants to learn more about you shifra um or about fleishix where can they go so there's fleishix.com f-l-e-i-s-h-i-g-s.com um it's really where you subscribe to the magazine um so you could subscribe that would be great um and then we have an instagram page fleishix i have my own personal instagram page shifra klein which has been very boring recently so i don't know if you should go there um and then we have a youtube channel facebook page the usual you know TikTok. all the things and we're and i'm gonna put all of those in the show notes uh, and they'll be linked there so that you can go and check those out get that by swiping up on the cover art the last thing that i want to ask you shifra is in your work in your personal life in the way that you move through the world what does it mean to you to make an impact oh wow um i really what does it mean for me to make an impact mm -hmm. i mean hmm I mean, it's about inspiring people, but making people feel, um, what does it mean to make an impact? To make people feel like they can do anything, I think. That's, for me, something that's, that's goals, yeah. That, that sounds great. Thank you so much for coming on today, Shipper. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. 
Thanks for listening. Along with all the usual links, this week's show notes also include a link to the Purim photo Shiffer described. It's a fun pink explosion, so go check it out. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blogs slash podcast. While you're there, feel free to check out what's new in the world of size-inclusive modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. It'll make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Etzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>